Ahoy! It's your boy, and welcome to episode 23 of the podcast. This is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google Play and Stitcher and everywhere you find good podcasts. And if you can, take a moment to rate and review it. Give it a five-star review, write a few sentences, letting the good people of planet Earth know why you like it, why you're a fan, and why you keep coming back and listening to it each and every week. Uh, if you want to connect with our socials, you can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at This Is M Pod. And uh, <laughs> I swear, you know, you'd think by now I know exactly what I want to say, but um, I sure don't. And each time I go back and listen to the episode, I say, God damn it, I forgot to say that thing. Um, so I don't know. I feel like I'm forgetting something, but actually I said that to my girlfriend today. We woke up this morning and I drove her to work and I said, I feel like I go through my life and I, I, I live in a perpetual state of feeling like I'm forgetting something, <clears throat> which is the case sometimes. Uh, I'm the type of person when I leave my place, I would say like eight times out of 10, I have to turn around, uh, as I'm walking out the door, I, you know, I've locked the door, I'm out the, I'm out the gate. I have to turn around and grab something that I forgot. You know, my girlfriend, when we cook at her place, I often take food home in Tupperware. You know, some of the leftovers, I'll take it home. And I hold on to her Tupperware for like a month at a time because I always show up to her place and go, God damn it, I forgot your Tupperware. Um, so yeah, I'm sure I'm forgetting something. But for the time being, if you want to, uh, stream uh, my playlist of all my original music from 2019 called Gentleman Caller. Just look up my artist's name on Spotify which is M, the heir apparent. That's the letter M, the H-E-I-R apparent. And stream my playlist of original music from last year called Gentleman Caller. Uh, it should be featured right there on the profile. And actually, the last song I released uh, at the end of last year called Help Me From There To Here, I just saw today it broke 100K. You know, it has 100,000 streams on Spotify now. So um, people seem to like that one. <clears throat> and um, I was literally, I, for, I, you know, for the last few years, I think one of the, <laughs> I'm not saying it's a smart thing, but one of the things I've looked forward to the most um, has been NPR's Tiny Desk Contest. Um, I think the, they first did it probably like 2015 or so. And I remember when they announced that I was just starting this new venture, new musical venture as M the Air Apparent. I'm not sure if I had been in the studio for a year at that point with my collaborator Gallon, um, or if that was just starting. But for some reason, I was just convinced. Like when they announced that, I was like, "Oh, that's for me." You know, like going on American Idol or The Voice, and I think I've talked about my experience auditioning for The Voice on the podcast. But like those, that's not for me. You know, I, I know it's an opportunity for a lot of people, and I'm not, and I'm not saying it's a categorically bad thing. But, um, you know, it's not songwriter-centric. It's not creative person-centric. It's just more talent-centric, and that's good. It's just its own thing. But when I saw the NPR Tiny Desk contest, when they announced that for the first time, however many years ago, I was like, oh, that's right up my alley. If I won that, that would be like the perfect showcase for me because I'm a singer and a songwriter, and I, you know, you showcase your original material. So every year I've entered, and, you know... I'm not again, I'm not saying it's smart, but I place a lot of hope on it, and uh, I feel like for the last three years, three four years, or you know, I don't know, this might be the fifth year they're doing it, but you know, the beginning part of the year has been this kind of period of anticipation and inevitably disappointment. Obviously, um, I don't think a white male singer songwriter is going to be taking home the crown anytime soon, <clears throat> but. Um, but uh yeah so yeah i've 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 hung a lot of misplaced hope on that contest for the last few years and i got an email yesterday again when i was leaving my girlfriend's place it was saying oh we got this year's first contributions or the whatever the first entries are rolling in and i i had no idea that the contest was even taking place and um so i don't know if it's school i don't know what it is but i feel like i'm in such a different place in my life right now that 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 didn't even register on my radar was shocking to me i was like holy shit here's this thing that was so important to me for the last few years i didn't even know what was going on <clears throat> so i'm telling myself that i'm i'm i am going to make a submission but i think this year more than ever it's just going to be nothing you know the last few years i've you know i've 
you know, I'm not saying I spent a ton of time on it, but you know, I was kind of thoughtful in how I shot it and, and stuff like that. But I think, uh, just for my own, I don't know, preservation or whatever, I think I just need to shoot something on my iPhone and just set it, send it in and just, you know, let it be what it's going to be. But yeah, I don't know. What I'm really thinking about right now is I think, well, you know, what if I, you know, and I won't, but let's say I won the tiny desk contest. Like what would I do? Would I leave school? You know, would I, um, you know, what would I do to my school plans? And I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but what it does make me think about is my commitment to this new trajectory of my life. You know, um, I mean, I, I think I decided to go back to school shortly after I finished the tour with Matt Nathanson this time last year. And I do remember I, I did submit to the Tiny Desk Contest around that time also, but I it's like I didn't even really care because I was doing this kind of cool regional tour with a, with a bigger artist, you know. And I thought, well, if anything's going to move the needle, this will. And I, I had a phenomenal time, obviously, and it was, it was a great learning experience, and I, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but um, I'm wondering if it was shortly after that when I saw, damn, that really didn't do a lot for me, and I don't see the next thing coming down the pipe or whatever, maybe it's time to go back to school. And um, I think it was. But now that I've done that for a year, now that I'm well into my second semester, and um, I mean, I just met with a counselor. We're talking about what I need to finish to transfer to a UC and all that sort of stuff. You know, let's say you do, let's say some other performance opportunity. Let's say Matt Nathanson calls again, or let's say, um, you know, something like the tiny desk contest happens, you know, what do you do? Do I actually leave those things or do I say, eh, you know, well, I'm doing something else now. You know, it's so easy to say that your life is changing or that you're committing to a different trajectory when there's really not a lot summoning you from the other side, do you know? And how would my feelings change if the phone rang or I got an email or, you know, you're faced with another, quote, opportunity to um, do something creatively. And so I don't know. Uh, my girlfriend and I saw this comedian in San Francisco, uh, Ali Wong. And I know it sounds like I'm like totally changing topics here, but I, I think it'll come back at some point. But she talks about the difference between male and female comedians and how male comedians have... One of the big motivators for young male comedians is that there are tons of groupies for stand-up comics, especially in LA. There's just girls who just sleep with comics. And uh, and uh, she was saying for female comics, the dudes who want to sleep with them are just creeps. And uh, she was sort of pointing out the disparity between the, um, I don't know, opportunities to get laid between male and female comedians in Los Angeles. Um, but there was, I don't know, I don't know how that connects exactly, but it was something about opportunity. You know, I mean, a lot of comedians make this point. It's probably like hacky at this point, but, uh, actually I think it was Chris Rock who said, you know, men are only as faithful as their options. You know, like if you're the type of person who's, you know, women are literally throwing themselves at you, it's harder to say no to, you know, if you're sort of a zoftic neutered man who's married and no one's really clamoring for you anyway, it's, it's, I'm not saying it's not a good thing, but it's, but it is comparatively or relatively easy to say that, oh, you would never cheat on your wife if there's just not a lot of opportunity. But again, if you're a mat, if you have matinee idol good looks and you're Hugh Jackman and women are throwing themselves at you, um, it might be a little harder to say no, you know? Um, anyway, does it make sense how that's related to what I'm talking about? (laughs) I guess it's easy for me to say, oh, I'm doing something else when there's not a lot of other opportunities. But, um, you know, if something did happen, what would I do? And, you know, I'm not saying that it will happen. I'm saying it likely won't happen. I'm saying, actually, I'm saying it's almost certain that, I don't even want to say almost certain. It is certain that it won't happen. But um, it just, it is just interesting to think about, honestly. Um, oh, actually, I want to correct something, too. I'm, I think at the top of the last episode, I mentioned my friend Aaron Michael Marsh, a comedian from Los Angeles, ironically, started the podcast. And I think I called it the wrong thing. I haven't gone back and confirmed it, but I think when I actually got around to listening to the first, now there's two episodes, but when I got, got around to listening to it, I saw that it was actually called Putting Up with Aaron Michael Marsh. And I thought it was called, I think I 
said catching up. But if you want to check out my friend Aaron's podcast, Great Comedian in Los Angeles, you can. Uh, it's called Putting Up with Aaron Michael Marsh, and it's available pretty much everywhere now. I, I was only delayed because I think it was up on Stitcher um, last week, and now it's I think it's up everywhere. So if you want to find it in iTunes or Spotify, check him out. Let him know who sent you and support him. Um, maybe I'll be doing his podcast sometime soon. That'd be fun. Although I don't know what's going to take me to LA next, you know. It would probably just have to be a vacation because it's not really any creative opportunities. Oh, yeah. But man, going around forgetting stuff. I did um, I did forget something over the weekend. I showed up to chemistry yesterday and uh, we have an exam tomorrow, actually. Um, but, uh, you know, we had this holiday weekend and maybe I'll get into that a little bit, but we just had Valentine's Day. We just had... Um, President's Day, and so I had this like four day weekend, and I get back to class, chemistry class on Wednesday, and uh, we're doing like review for the for the exam, and this other kid in my class goes, "Hey, uh, how'd you do on question number twenty five from that homework assignment?" And I was, uh, I thought he was referring to something else, and he goes, "Oh no, I meant the online homework." And I went, I had one of those moments where you're like, "Oh shit!" I completely spaced it. I completely. And everything I was doing, and I did a lot of homework over the holiday as well, I completely forgot to do this other assignment. Oy, oy, oy. I don't want to say that's unlike me. I mean, I, I, I can be a pretty forgetful person, but it's just one of those moments where you feel stupid. Like, I remember, especially when I was younger, I was like a really good student. And when I was like in elementary school, um, and I enjoyed being a good student, you know. Um, I, I know we've talked a lot about perfectionism, but I... Uh, on these last few episodes, but I, f- when I think about what really motivates that, I, I feel it very acutely when I was younger, which is I enjoyed being good. I enjoyed being a good student because I saw how much a- adults enjoyed it, you know, and I think part of being a perfectionist is you're hyper attuned to what the other people in your life need you to be for them. And so you become this kind of you know, because you want to be perfect for everybody, you kind of become this mask wearer for different people, you know, and depending on who you're interacting with, you can just sort of become what they want you to be, do you know? And so when I was at school, it was being a good student, you know, I was very, uh, I was a good, I was just a good student. But I remember we were given these assignments and there were, you know, I don't know, it seems strange for like second grade or whatever. But we had like a week or two to sort of research some science question that I think we could come up with ourselves. But then we had to sort of turn the answer in. And I remember the teacher at one point goes, all right, time to turn in your science assignments. And I hadn't even thought about it. I completely spaced it. And I was freaking out. This was like the first time this had ever happened to me. And I remember just thinking, oh my God, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I just remember like ripping out this piece of notebook paper uh, from my notebook. And my question that I had come up with was like, what is wind or what causes the wind? And uh, I think now that I'm an adult, I realize it's like air pressure and shit like that. You know what I mean? Dude, you guys hear those sirens? What is going I don't know. It's so weird. I don't, well, I was going to say I don't normally hear sirens around here, but I don't know if that's entirely true. I just feel like they've been a... Um, regular disturbance on the podcast, but I think wind is like, um, like air pressure and shit. I don't know. But, uh, I remember writing very quickly. The first thing I could think of, which is the wind is caused by the rotation of the earth or some shit like that. And I remember turning it in and I never heard anything about it. I don't remember her. I don't remember my teacher grading it and returning it to me. Um, but I feel like that's the kind of thing. If you were a teacher, you'd read that and know that somebody just made it up. So, I don't know. Maybe it's the kind of thing that you forgive, you know? Like, I know I didn't do my homework for chemistry, but otherwise I'm a great student in that class. You know, I don't know how I'm going to do on the exam. I'm not a, I mean, I make mistakes, you know? But, you know, I'm engaged. I normally do my homework and uh, I participate as much as anybody else, if not more. And so I, and also I think being an adult, you know, being one of the older people in the class, but actually probably the oldest now that I think about it. Um... Uh, I think the teacher appreciates that, <laughs> you know. I mean, I remember years ago when I was uh, studying music at a junior college in Arizona, I remember we had this music theory teacher who was brilliant. He was such a smart guy, but he had been there forever. And you, I don't know, you always had the feeling that he was overqualified to teach there, you know. Like, you could just really tell that his interests and his understanding and his breadth of knowledge, like, was just far exceeded, you know, the level of what he taught. 
and he had been there for a while and around the, he was, he was retiring. And I remember like poking my head in his office and asking, well, what do you, you know, what do you plan to do with your time now? And he said, I'll probably, you know, I don't know. I might just teach adults, you know? And I was like, why? And he goes, well, they're my favorite students. And now that I'm an adult back at school, I realize what he enjoyed about them, which is when you're dealing with kids, especially at a junior college, especially at that age, a lot of them are very unfocused, you know? I think, like, the actual transfer rates for most junior colleges are, like, abysmal. You know, I don't know if most people don't graduate, but, you know, only a very small percentage of people who attend a junior college actually transfer to a four-year university. And so you get a lot of people who just kind of show up and smoke cigarettes and, like, uh, they just hang out and they're just kind of floating and they're kind of aimless. And, you know, I'm not saying there's, I'm not saying that these are bad people, you know, they're at a very specific place in their life or a very specific time in their life and development. And what are you going to do? But I think as a teacher, if what you're wanting to do is fucking like you've seen too many stand by me and dangerous mind movies and you want to like shape the youth and make a difference, you know, that's disappointing (laughs) to realize how little you actually, you know, what you've done with your life, um, how rare it is that, that you can help someone. But, um, So I think when you have someone in your class, and maybe it is an adult, but you see someone who's participating and, you know, whether or not they're going to be an A student, you know, they participate and ask questions and are engaged. I think that's probably rewarding for a teacher. Um, So anyway, I'm that. But yeah, did you guys have a good Valentine's Day? A lot of people hate Valentine's Day. For me, it's just sort of a non-issue, you know? But, um... Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of lucky to be with someone. Like, we kind of have this unspoken thing where we're... Well, I don't want to say unspoken. I'm just saying we don't make a big deal of buying each other gifts. You know what I mean? So, uh, low pressure around the holidays. Um, although she did surprise me with a little gift. It's uh, she, she had someone make a keychain of my brother's dog on Etsy. So, I know that sounds weird, but I do love and covet my brother's dog. And uh, my girlfriend knows that. So she was kind of poking fun at me saying, oh, I wanted to get you something for your, like the real love in your life. But uh, we went to dinner on Valentine's Day, and otherwise it was just chill, you know. We found this new restaurant in Oakland called Saucy. If you're in the Bay Area and looking for a good place to eat, check it out. Um, but we had had dinner there, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago for this restaurant week they have in Oakland, where all the different restaurants in Oakland have these like special tasting menus for you know, a cheap price to get new people in the door, you know, and it's something they do all over the city. And so we found this place and just kind of kept our eye on them and saw they had a good menu for Valentine's Day. So we checked it out. Although I, here's what I say, and and take my advice, folks, as someone who worked in restaurants for years, whether it's Mother's Day or Valentine's Day, if your partner is up for it, don't go on the holiday. Go either the night before or the night after. I mean, we went on Valentine's Day because we liked the menu, and we knew they weren't going to serve it on either side of that date. But if it's just going to a place that, if it's just about going to a place that has good food, go the day before or the day after. Because as someone who's worked in restaurants, I can tell you, for the most part, every restaurant on a holiday, Mother's Day or Valentine's Day, comes up with a, a new menu. And you know, if you work on a food service, you know what I'm talking about, but you probably can just understand intuitively. When you, when you go to work, you're a, you're a creature of habit. You know, you get in your routine and that's what you do well. And especially at a restaurant where it's about just cooking and like cranking food out, it's about repetition. You know, it's about muscle memory. And if you're doing a new menu, shit slows way the fuck down. You know, you're completely out of your element. And when your restaurant's fucking full, when you need to be on point, you've, you've never struggled more. So, you know, most restaurants are way too goddamn busy cooking food they've never fucking cooked before. So they don't know when to fire on your courses. They don't know at what speed things are going to come out. So it's usually a clusterfuck. And even though it's nice to go out, I bet most people don't have phenomenal dining experience, dining experiences on the holidays. So do yourself a favor, man, go the day before or go the day after where most people won't be going out because either they're anticipating the holiday or they just went out the night before. And fucking enjoy, man. I mean, that's my advice. I mean, I can't tell you how many holidays 
how many Mother's Days I've been in a restaurant where we're just fucking slammed and we're all just looking at each other like, God damn. And you leave feeling like, God damn, I feel like we ruined those people's holiday. Do you know what I'm saying? Or, or even if they got something good, it's, you know, everything's always more expensive. So you certainly don't feel like people really got their money's worth, you know? So yeah, that's some free advice from me to you. But, um, yeah, otherwise, what did we do? We went bowling the week before, but, um, oh, you know what? We went and we saw Uncut Gems at the theater, um, at the new parkway in Oakland. And I, I was talking about this when we saw, um, What a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, or Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, whatever the fuck it's called, but, um, the Mr. Rogers movie, but it's at this place called the new parkway. Uh, in Oakland, and it's one of those theaters where you like, you know, you get, you know what, fuck it, my, I was I was talking about this on the podcast, and my brother said, most theaters do that now, after he heard it, but, you know, they sell you beer and food, and I don't know, man, it seems rare to me, like, you know, I live in the Bay Area, a pretty hip, cool place where, you know, they got things going on, and I don't, I don't feel like most of the theaters sell food and beer and let you take it into the theater, you know, I don't, I mean, that just doesn't seem that common to me, but they do do it at the new parkway. And, um, it is one of these theaters though, where there's like no regular movie theater chairs or seats. It's all fucking beanbag chairs and sofas and it sounds cool, but it's not. Everything's all tattered and dirty and gross, (laughs) but we saw the Mr. Rogers movie like a month ago or whatever. And we just saw uncut gems with Adam Sandler and my brother said the same thing when he saw it, but it is one of the most uncomfortable movies you've ever seen. You know, the way it's shot and directed, it's just, there's always 10 people talking at once and there's just this mounting tension. You know, Adam Sandler plays this um, jewel salesman or whatever in the Diamond District of New York City and he's also a gambler. And so he has, you know, it's like, I mean, it sounds like a movie you've seen a hundred times, but it feels very different. But, you know, he has some sort of outstanding debt And he sort of keeps digging himself into a deeper and deeper hole and the stakes keep getting raised. And every time he has an opportunity to make things right, he always makes the wrong decision at every turn. So things just get worse and worse. And um, yeah, and the way it's shot, there's always just like 10 people talking at the same time and it's so grating, you know, it's all, everything's at a 10 the whole time. There's only very few moments of, of silence and because like the movie is otherwise very loud, it makes those moments very effective. And they just do a good job of casting. You know, it's a very cool role for Adam Sandler, who does these... I mean, you know, he did Punch Drunk Love, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, so, you know, you feel like he has his eye out for good roles, but um, this is a very, very good role for Adam Sandler. And uh, Idina Menzel was cast as as his wife, which was a surprise. She just sort of hopped on screen, and I went, whoa, what the fuck? You know, it's weird to see someone who I knew, because I was like a big Rent fan when I was growing up. She was in the original Broadway cast of Rent, And, uh, you know, you assume these people just sort of drop off and then all of a sudden they're like one of the biggest fucking stars out there right now. She's doing all the frozen stuff and was on in wicked for years. And now is in like one of the, you know, biggest children's movie of all time or whatever. So it's crazy, man. So they do a good job with casting and they have uh, Kevin Garnett. Like it's, it's, they got the weekend in there. They got Kevin Garnett in there. Kevin Garnett's like a huge, uh, pivotal plot point and character in the movie it's like very smart casting i forget the filmmakers names um but literally like three nights later i was like getting into bed and i was like oh i'll watch something on netflix and they had this movie called good time with robert pattinson and i know you've heard me shit on the lighthouse and um i i think i've always sensed that robert pattinson you know he did the twilight movies he was this teen star and you kind of sense that every acting choice or, or role he's taken on since then has been to combat that sort of teen idol, you know, um, cliche, which is fine. But I also know a lot of actors do that, and it, and it doesn't always work. Like, uh, who's the actor, the Harry Potter kid? You know, you feel like every, like he did that. He did Equus on Broadway. Have you guys heard of that? Equus is this old play, and they turned it into a, a movie, like I think in the 70s or so. But it's about a guy who has sex with horses. And, uh, and, uh, so this, uh, God, I wish I remembered his name. You know, the kid who plays Harry Potter. So he did this on the revival of Equus on Broadway where he's like naked on stage at some point. And you're like, I get it. I get it. You're trying to go against type. I get it. Good for you. So I feel like every time Robert Pattinson's done something, I've just kind of gone, eh, okay, not really interested. 
But uh, I started watching this movie, and within the first 30 seconds, I knew. I was like, oh, this has to be the same filmmakers. It had the same sort of gritty quality. It had um, the music was this sort of 80s synth, real synth score, you know, um, with texture to it. Do you know what I mean? And the minute I heard the opening notes of the music, I went, oh, this has to be the same filmmakers. And I looked it up, and your boy was right. <clears throat> so, yeah, I would say check him out, man. I haven't seen anything else of theirs, but if you can handle violence, if you, you know, if you if you can go in for a strong sensory experience, definitely see Uncut Gems if you haven't, and uh, and watch Good Time on Netflix with Robert Pattinson. It's really very good. There are both these types of movies, like, have you, like I guess things just keep getting worse. Do you know what I mean? And I think like the only other movie that jumps to mind that really feels the same way is uh, Owning Mahoney with Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I don't think a lot of people have seen it, but it's uh, it's with Philip Seymour Hoffman. He plays this gambler, this gambling addict in Canada, and he's he's either married or dating um, uh, not Marissa Tomei. Um, I have such a crush on this girl too. I can't remember her name. She's uh, Matt Damon's love interest in Goodwill Hunting. Um, she has not many. Is it Minnie Driver? No, oh, what's her name? Oh, I can't remember it. But anyway, she's she's beautiful. Um, and she has this really interesting. She has like these eighties glasses and hair in this movie. But um, Philip Seymour Hoffman is this Canadian banker, and so he creates these like he he creates these fake loan accounts where he loans himself, you know, hundreds of thousands of Canadian dollars or whatever the fuck they call them. And he just flies uh, maybe to like to Atlantic City or something like that. And he just keeps spending and losing money. And of course, things just keep getting worse and worse and worse. And it's one of those movies where you're just like, at every, every time someone can make the right decision or make things better or you think things are about to get fixed, they make the exact wrong decision. Actually, it's kind of like, have you seen Flight with Denzel Washington where he plays the alcoholic pilot? You know, I saw that movie once and... There was it had that effect on me too. Like I don't know if that was a great movie. I think it, I don't I don't know, but I I did have that feeling as I was watching Flight where you're, you really are kind of rooting for the character, you know. And even though they're degenerate, and even though they're kind of a not a great person, for some reason you root for them. You know, you want the best for them. Like it's not really my observation, but uh, Robert Downey Jr. is one of these people. You know, you like to see them make a comeback. Like, there's some celebrities like Lindsay Lohan or, um, like, a Paris Hilton type. Or For some reason, people like to see them spiral out of control. Because I think, for, for on some level, we don't really like them, do you know? And I don't know what that is. Maybe we think they're snarky or, or I, I don't know what it is. But we think they're kind of vapid or whatever. But it's like we don't want them to succeed on some level. Like... If Lindsay Lohan was making a comeback and doing good work, I don't know that she'd get the credit that she deserves. You know, I think there's more people who would see whatever, you know, anytime she came out with something, their arms would be folded and they would fucking like not want it to be good. Do you know what I mean? Um, they, we just decided that we don't like her and we don't want her to do well. So that's, we're fucking digging our heels in on that point. But then there's people like Robert Denny Jr. where you feel like people want them to have a comeback. You know, Mickey Rourke had this for a while with um, The Wrestler, where for some reason we want them to do well. You know, like I bet if Robert Downey Jr. died tomorrow of a drug overdose, it'd be a fucking tragedy. You know what I'm saying? Whereas like with, I was going to say Katy Perry, Amy Winehouse is who I'm thinking of. You know, some people, their death and us losing them just feels inevitable, you know? (sighs) Anyway, man, dude. It's fucking crazy what we talk about on this podcast. Yeah, dude, for the last few weeks, I've just spent so much time practicing on this fucking drum pad. You know, I've talked about, I wish... You know, seeing who I am now as an adult and seeing the capacity I have either for homework or for practice, I just I wish I would have had this when I was younger. I feel like my whole life could have been different. But it's also funny, I don't really even consciously remember thinking about picking up drumming again. Like, I, I, I don't even remember when the idea first came to me. 
I mean, I remember buying the practice pad and the drumsticks and the, but I don't remember when I decided to do that or the period I was considering doing that. Uh, you know, I, it's like there was before this and after this and I don't see the transition, but I, I literally spend at least an hour a day practicing, you know, oftentimes two because I can do it with like a podcast on in the background. Um, but, uh, like all I, th- I, dude, I just think about drums all the time now, which is fucking crazy. You know, I think about symbols a lot, especially for some reason. Like I was in bed with my girlfriend last night after dinner and she was like firing off this work email that was going to take like 20 minutes. And I was just on Instagram looking at drum gear. You know, there's this symbol company, Istanbul. And I just was like looking at all their shit online. And it was just like, I felt like I was 12 again when I was subscribing to Modern Drummer Magazine and I would just flip through the pages and like, I knew all the gear. Do you know what I mean? Like I could look at a drum set and, and know not just the brand by the, just based on the lug design or whatever. I could tell you like which line in, you know, oh, you know, it's like cars, like Toyota has like the Corolla or the Prius or whatever. So drums are the same thing. You may have the same brand like Yamaha or something, but there's like the stage custom, which is like the entry level. Then you have like the recording custom or the, the, uh, uh, uh absolute maple or whatever the hell it was, you know, and I could always tell what the drums were. You know, and not just for one brand. I mean, for all, like Pearl or Tama or DW or whatever the fuck it was, but or, or symbols especially. You know, you knew all the Zillions and the Sabians and the and the um, you know whatever the fuck. And uh, so much time has passed that like I would go to drum stores now and everything looked good. And you you now it's kind of a good time for drumming because you can't tell the difference between the entry level gear a lot of times and like their premier shit. Like the entry level shit is so good. You know, a Yamaha Stage Custom now is a pretty fucking great kit, you know what I mean? Which used to be like an entry-level, and it, it, I, I mean, it still is like an en- what's considered like an entry-level drum, drum set. But the quality is so fucking incredible. And the kind of stuff I see myself aesthetically sort of drawn to now is completely different than when I was younger. I mean, when I was younger, I liked, you know, kind of big rock kits, you know what I'm saying? Not like the shitty, like, Terry Bozio, like you know, three-story drum sets with cymbals, like, 360 degrees, but, you know, I liked bigger kits. You know, I liked people with a lot of stuff. And for some reason, now I'm the complete opposite. You know, the kits that I think look the best are smaller, um, you know, smaller, you know, kick sizes. Jazz cymbals, for some reason, look awesome to me now. It's just, it's weird how your taste changes an adult. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's got me, you know, I said <clears throat> the last few years I was listening to Beethoven one year. I was listening to Brahms the next. And this year was supposed to be all Bach. But I've been listening to kind of whatever I wanted. And um, like at the beginning of the year, I was listening to a lot of like Steve Reich and John Adams. And, um, you know, for about a month, it was Arvo Pert. You know, I, I was talking about Arvo Pert on the podcast. And so that sent me off you know, trying to listen to pretty much everything he ever recorded. And I knew a lot of it, but hadn't listened to it in a long time. And then for some reason, I'm just listening to a lot of jazz. You know, <clears throat> I'm not saying, excuse me, <clears throat> I'm not saying it's the best way to do things, but it's like, I googled like, what's like, <clears throat> you know, what are the top 100 jazz albums or jazz songs or whatever? And some magazine or whatever had come up with this reader created list of like the 100 best jazz songs of all time and someone on spotify had created a copy of that playlist or whatever so that's basically what i've been listening to and i don't know why it's so crazy you know if you had told me three months ago i'd be listening to jazz i I probably would have rolled my eyes i don't even really consider myself a jazz fan but it's the drumming that i'm drawn to for some reason you know there's something about the jazz drumming that's interesting to me now um, and dude, I don't know. It kind of takes me back, you know, when I was going to boarding school studying theater and I went to this performing arts boarding school, um, I studied theater, but most of the people were there studying music and there was like the classical musicians and then there was this niche of other people, the jazz, the jazz musicians, the jazz majors, you know, and there was this guy, uh, I'm waffling if I should say his name, not because I'm saying anything bad about the guy, but um, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want to be talked about, but he was this jazz drummer who was like down the hall from me. Kind of a funny guy, kind of funny, goofy guy. But he and I, we, I mean, uh, you know, I also played hand drums at the time. So I was always, I was looking for an opportunity to play drums with people. And so I linked up with him 
And uh, we had this like jam group and we would play all the open mics or whatever. And we'd fucking bore people to tears playing these like 15 minutes spacey funk jams or whatever, you know? We actually had a guy who was playing bass with us who we all loved. Who I guess now he's like a really famous bass player. But, um, and he was far and away like the best member of the group. He would play his, his uh, electric bass with this like zoom pedal that had this fucking crazy effect that would fucking, we fucking loved it. Every time he would fucking drop that thing, we would fucking just lose our minds. Um, and actually one of the guys we were playing guitar with, I guess he passed away, you know, kind of young, but, um, but, uh, yeah, so they turned me on to jazz, you know? And so, uh, this was like CD burners had just come out. So I would, you know, they would tell me all these, you know, classic jazz records that I needed. And it was like, you know, the big ones, it was like Miles Davis kind of blue, John Coltrane, Giant Steps and Blue Train and Thelonious Monk and Getz, you know, the Girlfriend Ipanema record. And, um, yeah, dude, Miles Davis was the one for me I went super deep on, you know, and even though they were weird and like, you know, aesthetically, I enjoy records of like kind of blue or, um, yeah, kind of blue and round midnight and, you know, the kind of early standard stuff more. The one that we would fucking listen to a lot and just fucking trip out on was like records like Live Evil. And Bitches Brew to some extent, but really Live Evil for some reason was the record that we fucking lost our minds to. And also uh, this group, also with John McLaughlin, who's a guitar player who played on, I'm pretty sure he played on Live Evil. He had his own group called the Mahavishnu Orchestra. And they had this record called The Inner Mounting Flame. And the first track, track especially, I remember we would just fucking listen to that over and over again. But that was a record that we just really fucking tripped out on. But listening to jazz again has got me back to this place where I'm like listening to all these jazz records for some reason, you know? It makes me feel so old. <laughs> you know, I was literally driving around thinking, you become quite a fucking typical old white man as an adult, you know? Like, you listen to classical music and jazz, and you fucking play chess. And it's like, wow, you become such a square when you're an adult. You know what I'm saying? And you ask, oh, and like reading like Russian novels and shit, and you're like, Jesus Christ. But I don't know. You, I don't know. I don't know if it's artistry. I don't know what you call it, but there's something, there's something that you're drawn to or that you need in entertainment as an adult that just... I don't know. You don't have a taste for it as a kid. Like, you know, a lot of people make this observation. Like, when you're a kid, and a, like you have a different palate for food and, and tastes. You know what I mean? Like, the first time you took a sip of wine or a beer, you spat it out, thinking, who the fuck could drink this? You know what I mean? Or the first time you smoke a cigarette, you cough. You know, there's things as an adult that are not good in the way, like, Welsh's grape juice is good to a kid. Like, that's just sweet and yummy, I guess. But it's like... There's coffee. There's things as as an adult that are not good in the sense that like Welsh's grape juice is good, but they have something else and you learn to like it and you learn to appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? And uh, yeah, for some reason it just seems it's a little more nuanced. Do you know? And uh, I feel like in entertainment, there's the same thing. Like a lot of things that adults enjoy that kids find boring, it's because there's something else that's not like, you know, it's not like a Tom and Jerry cartoon, right? People running around smashing each other's head with a hammer and uh, lots of noise and light and sound. But there's something else, something a little more subtle that is able to hold your attention as an adult. Um, you know, like video games versus chess. Chess is a fucking slow game and it's kind of boring. But as an adult, it's very intriguing to me. You know, classical music sounds kind of square to other people. But for me, there's, you know, there's a whole, I hear a whole, I mean, there's more excitement thinking, oh, the guy who wrote this had to know about orchestration and harmony and counterpoint and part writing. Um, I mean, they had to have a whole wealth of knowledge to create this thing. That may sound bland, but you hear the artistry versus like, you know, I'm not saying it's artless music, but you have to have a whole wealth of information and skills to create, uh, you know, a symphony that you don't necessarily need if you're just creating some electronic pop track out of the box. You know what I'm saying? That you're making it um, in your DAW or whatever. And I'm not saying that that's not an art. It certainly is for, for many people. Um, but, uh, yeah. 
is it too simple to say a lot more goes into making a symphony? <clears throat> anyway, I, I feel like I'm, t- I'm being very like superficial on this podcast, meaning I, I know we normally go kind of deep emotionally and I'm, I don't know, I feel like I'm just sort of skating around stuff today. I think that's a product of, you know, when you do the podcast, you don't really know what you're going to talk about. You just kind of let yourself spew about whatever happens to come out. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like we're not going very deep on this one. I hope that's okay. Um, maybe we can try, though. I, I, yeah. You know, something that did come up in therapy, actually. <laughs> I was talking about this where I said, you know, why... Why am I all, why am I back into drumming all of a sudden? Do you know what I mean? Like I said, I don't remember the idea coming to me. Why all of a sudden am I super stoked to just sit down with a practice pad and practice um, just some bullshit? Do you know what I mean? Just some sticking technique. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, I'm not even like playing the drum set. You know, I said when I was a kid and I played drums, I never practiced. I would just play along the CDs for hours, and that was fun. You know, even if you don't play drums, I'm sure you can imagine playing along to your favorite songs and just drumming along to them is pretty fun. <clears throat> and now I just had this huge capacity, apparently, to just sit down with a stick technique book and just play these fucking exercises for sometimes an hour or two hours at a time. Um, but I think it's related to school. And I think it goes back to this idea, like I said, now that I'm an adult and I feel like I have this capacity to be a, the type of student I wasn't able to be when I was a kid. Now that I'm an adult and I have the capacity to be the type of drum student that I wasn't able to be as a kid, and even in a relationship now to be the type of partner that I didn't have the capacity to be when I was in my early 20s or so. And it goes back to this idea of perfectionism. And I don't, I think on the one hand, it's kind of poignant. I don't know if it's a good thing, but it's kind of poignant also, which is, you know, in my quest to be the perfect person, you know, to, to sort of, and I don't know, to me, I, what I, what I feel like it is, is I just want to fulfill my potential. Do you know what I mean? I want to be the best me that I can be. And I hold myself to some sort of external standard, um, that I'm always measuring myself against, you know, and sometimes it's personified in my mind as a person, you know, like a judge, um, the type of thing that maybe Christians think about when they think, oh, when I go to the pearly gates and is it St. Peter opens the book and judges me or uh, more, it's more like Anubis in Egyptian mythology. Like when you go down to the Egyptian underworld and an Anubis weighs your heart to see if you're a good person or not. Um, that's sort of what I feel like. I feel like I'm being judged. I feel like I'm being evaluated. I feel like I'm, you know, and it's against this potential me like as if parallel to my own life that i'm actually living like trying to like pinocchio or something like a like i'm not quite a real boy yet but i'm like working my way through life and you know i just feel like there's a there's a parallel me who's living unhindered and kind of accomplishing what i could accomplish if i can just surmount the obstacles i'm having to face in my real life um yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's too obscure. The point is, is that I'm just, I'm always measuring myself to some external standard. Um, and uh, I was actually talking about this with my brother. And uh, I was saying, when I was talking about this in my own therapy, my th- my therapist had said, oh yeah, we used to call that the super ego. <laughs> um, but that's how I feel. And I don't think I'm doing it consciously, but I, I, because I've had so many regrets in my life about, di- or I've had so much regret about different chapters of my life. Um, you know, when, like I said, when I was playing drums, I never practiced and that was hard for me. You know, it was embarrassing for me to keep showing up every week, not having practiced what he had sent me home with. And it wasn't that I couldn't play drums. I was a very good drummer for the most part, but I wasn't doing the work that I needed to be doing. Do you know what I mean? Um, almost, I don't know. It's like your, your, your teacher, because they're, this is what they do. And you know, they kind of know what what you need. Maybe not what you want to do all the time, but what you need to be doing. And while there's a time and place, and you certainly should be playing along to records and stuff if you want, there's actually, there's just technical skills that you need to develop that if you don't do it now is going to hinder you later in life. I mean, it's kind of a microcosm for life in general, right? Like if you have the type of parents who let you do whatever you want, that may be fine. And I'm not saying necessarily that you're going to die a, an early death for it, 
But really the role of a parent is to create structure because you need to develop skill sets that will help you later in life. They may not be a parent now, but at some point you'll reach a threshold that you that will be very not that you can't but it will be very difficult for you to advance past if you haven't developed these early skill sets and whether it's piano or drums instruments are very much the same you know you can play along to a lot of things now because a lot of things a lot a lot of fundamental music is very intuitive but if you want to play really fast or if you want to play more complicated things if you haven't developed these early skill sets or mastered a, a, a technique of sorts there's really going to be a limit to what you can accomplish. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's like musicians who say, oh, I don't read music, and they look at it as a virtue. Well, that's fine, you know, and you could probably have, I mean, you can certainly have a whole music career and not have not read music. But let's also be honest about what it is. I mean, there's an entire world of what you claim to want to do for a living that is completely unaccessible to you. Do you know what I'm saying? Um... And again, not that you can't carve a path in life without this, but uh, but if push comes to shove, the person who's going to be able to be more is more facile, more more potential for success is somebody who can do it all. Do you know what I mean? Uh, is this making sense? I think the point I'm trying to say is, or the roundabout point I'm trying to get to is, consciously or not i feel like a lot of what i'm doing in my adult life now is trying to fix the past you know part of why or part of what i'm enjoying about being a good student now is that i'm like retroactively making up for this time in my life that i thought i had lost you know or messed up on You know, I I had so much regret for, like, being a shitty student for so long, do you know? And I feel like I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to prove to myself that I can do it, you know? It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that I couldn't do it, it wasn't beyond me. I was just, like, you know, I was struggling with something else, emotional or otherwise, but I feel like I'm trying to go back in my life and, like, make up for the times in my life where I fell short of what I was capable of. You know, I mean, I don't think it's an accident. I'm not just getting back into drumming and listening to CDs. Like, the first thing I did was, you know, kind of approach drums now the way my t- I think, you know, if my teacher had his druthers, I would have approached it then, which is, fuck the drum set. Just get a practice pad and some sticks and start working on your, on your technique. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just bought this old book that he used to give me assignments out of all the time and I just never did and I literally think dude oh wow I hadn't really connected this before wow I you know when I I was literally talking about I don't know I'm thinking about like smaller drum sizes and jazz or something like that's kind of like what my teacher was into do you know what I mean and for some reason I'm thinking about him a lot now these days I'm thinking about my old drum teacher and it's like I'm trying to be the perfect student all over again. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, again, not to shit on my parents, but I've uh, alluded to the fact that, you know, there wasn't a lot of structure for me growing up. I could kind of do whatever I wanted. And, I mean, when I was... 15 or whatever, and I was going to boarding school studying theater, I just decided to leave. Okay, that was my decision. That's a crazy decision for a 15-year-old to be able to make. Do you know what I mean? I shouldn't have had that kind of power. And when I came back and I said I was going to, quote, do music, I'm just going to do music instead of theater. The only instrument I could play was the drums, which is fucking crazy, you know what I'm saying? But I started drum lessons again, and I remember they didn't last very long. And I had only just remembered, and this this all kind of came out in therapy, so I'm sort of repeating something I'd already talked about in my session, but, you know, I was a pack-a-day smoker when I was 15, which is fucking crazy, too. Like, I shouldn't have been able to do that, but that was uh, something I was allowed to do. I was allowed to smoke as a kid. And I remember before my lesson, when I was 15, I had just come back from boarding school, you know, school's about to start, and I'm, like, taking drum lessons in the summer, I was like smoking a cigarette before my lesson outside on his like back patio or whatever. And he kind of comes out and he kind of sees me smoking and it, you know, I didn't really think much of it. I didn't 
you know, I certainly didn't feel like I had been, quote, caught or anything. But I could see that it was kind of a surprise to him, which, of course it fucking was. A 16-year-old was fucking smoking cigarettes in his backyard. Um, and I don't remember what he said, but he, he said something like, oh, something like, I don't know, that's a good idea, man. I'm, you know, I'm sure he was just concerned about my health. But I remember I took that home with me, and I remember bringing it up to my mom, and I said, you know, my, my drum teacher said something about me smoking. And I know this is, I don't know how to word this exactly, but sometimes as a kid, I think you bring things to your parents that you, you know, you both kind of know what you want them to say. That makes, that's like the easy thing to say. But you also kind of know what the good parent thing is. And I, I'm not saying it's always conscious, but you're kind of testing them. Are they going to go the easy way and tell me what I, quote, want to hear? Or are they going to do the right thing and be a parent in this situation? And what I wanted my mom to say was that, oh, it's none of his business. Because that's kind of what I was thinking. You know, oh, shit, that's like none of this guy's business. Like, and really, that's just a reaction to him kind of making me feel uncomfortable, right? Like, he's kind of like, hey, why are you smoking? That's kind of a hard thing. You know, now I have to face myself and really think critically about what I'm doing. That's uncomfortable for a kid. And what I wanted my mom to say was, oh, it's really none of his business. And then I could go back to just kind of doing what I was doing. But I also know and knew at the time a good parent would say, yeah, well, why are you smoking? That's kind of weird, don't you think? It's not good for your health. And kind of help, you know, get my thinking going in that direction. But she didn't. She just said, oh, well, it's really none of his business, is it? And I was like, yeah. And I remember I, the next time I saw him, I said something about it. You know, and not like in a combative, you know, it was not a confrontation or anything. I was really just trying to, you know, I knew we had had this interaction and it was kind of in the room with us and I just kind of wanted to clear the air. And I said something like that. I said, you know, I know this, I know you said this thing and I've just been thinking about it and I don't know, I just, I feel like it's, you know, none of your business or something. (laughs) And I I think he sort of squashed it. You know, I think he kind of understood that this is some precarious ground for me and it's not really something he wants to get involved in, right? Like, I'm, I'm sure from his perspective, he was like, okay, well, this is crazy. You know, here I am a concerned adult in this kid's life trying to do the right thing and you know, he's out of reach. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, clearly this is not something his, his own parents want for him and who am I to meddle? And, you know, it's, this is kind of murky territory. You know, I'm kind of uh, overextending myself. I'm just, I'm just this guy's drum teacher. Do you know what I mean? So I know that he sort of retreated a little bit, but my lessons didn't continue for very long after that. And I don't remember, I don't know what reason I gave. I don't know what the fuck it was, but I stopped going. And I think, you know, I think my decision to leave school and my decision to even stop taking drum lessons, which is ostensibly, ostensibly what I had left school to do, was kind of the same thing, you know? Like, I was given a lot of power as a kid to sort of chart my own course in life. And, you know, if I didn't want to go to boarding school, I could. And I'm sure my takeaway from that experience was, oh, I can just say I don't, if I don't want to do something, it, it stops. Do you know? Anytime I face some something uncomfortable if i'm like oh i'm having this weird kind of interaction with my drum teacher it's making it kind of challenging to go to drum lessons all i, I don't need to explain myself i just need to say oh hey i don't want to take drum lessons anymore and they just they end i mean the same thing happened a couple months later when i was going to public school i was going to this public high school and you know my brother and i had this friend who was going to some shitty alternative charter high school for a bunch of delinquent kids, but you only had to go four hours a day and do work on the computer. And we were like, dude, fuck this. We want to do that. And so we just said to our mom, Hey, we want to go to this school. And she's like, you know, I'm not saying she was over the moon about it, but that's what we did. We literally left public high school and went to some school for the dumbs, you know, and I graduated halfway through my junior year without really having a high school experience. Do you know what I mean? My freshman year of high school, I was soaring at a fucking performing arts boarding school with, you know, <laughs> you know, it was a real opportunity. And halfway through the next year, I was going to a four hours a day charter high school in Arizona for, for delinquent and truant kids who were on probation, you know, and having to do work for four hours a day. <clears throat> And working at a pizza place and burning my face. But that's, I think I've already told that story. My first, my first day on my first job when I was like 16 or so, I was working at a pizza place and burned my face on the door of the oven. I literally burned my jawline 
horribly. I'm looking down at my arm right now, and me and my girlfriend were making something the other day, and she got one of these, like, I don't know, they call it, like, a fourth, what do they call it, like, a, a fourth something burner? I don't know, it's something that's just supposed to live on your fourth burner that you ostensibly never use, right? Just, like, boil water and shit. But the steam was coming out of it, and as I was, like, working on this skillet or something that we were cooking something else, and I just, fuck, the steam just, like, hit my arm and just fucking burned it terribly. We talked about it in chemistry one time, why steam is so much hotter than water, and I can't remember the reason why, but <clears throat> there's a clear scientific reason for why water, or steam can get so much hotter than, than liquid water. But anyway, um, so yeah, what is it? Something about thinking about my drum teacher. I mean, my, my drum teacher was trying to be a, not a parent, but an adult in my life. Do you know what I mean? And for, for just... For what I was experiencing at home and what my life was like in general, I I resented them for it. I mean, I don't know if that's the right word, but that's what I was feeling, you know? Um, And I think there's a part of me now that I'm an adult, I look back on that and I know that I was in the wrong, you know, and I see... And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to crucify myself about it. I'm trying to be sympathetic to myself as a kid and say, wow, you were just a kid. See... When, when I was, you know, for most of my life, I've looked back on these experiences and I felt, I've, I have felt so much embarrassment about who I was at those times in my life, Do you know? And it's not just as a teenager. I was telling my girlfriend literally last night at dinner, you know, people do horrible things in their life. Like, have, you know, a moment like, it's never happened to me, but you know, you hear about you know, guys who will go up to a girl they haven't seen in a while and they say, oh, you're pregnant. And they go, no, I'm not. And you realize they just gained weight and they just, they just feel horrible, you know? And some people have these repertoire of things that they, they don't think about all the time, but maybe once, once a year or once every five years, they'll just be like taking a shower and that memory of what they did that was so embarrassing will like pop into their head and they'll just shudder. Do you know? It's like all you can think about for a minute and you just think about it and you just go, jeez. Oh, you can't believe that that actually happened to you. You're so embarrassed. And you know that that person's walking through life and that's one of the fucking memories they have in the fucking menagerie, the glass menagerie of all their experiences. They have this prime fucking example of, of the stupid, idiotic thing that you did. Um, I've had some of these moments are like that for me. Like, and that moment with my drum teacher, like, I just think, I, I used to be so embarrassed about that. Oh, God, how, I should have known better. How could I have behaved that way? Um, the one I was telling my girlfriend at dinner last night was when I was a kid. Uh, I was probably, I was younger than 10, you know, six, seven, eight, I don't know. But it was Christmas, and I remember, you know, me and my brother's Christmas list was always, like, identical. You know, we wanted, we wanted the same shit, you know? And I remember one thing that we had both both asked for was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles doll. Um, if you're my age, you fucking know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. When I say we wanted a Foot Clan fucking figurine, you know what I'm talking about. But the Foot Clan was like kind of the stormtrooper in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle world. Like, you know, the army that worked under the evil henchmen, like Shredder was like the bad guy and his army of you know, um, assistants or ninja or whatever the fuck were called the foot clan. And so we wanted these foot clan figurines or whatever. And I remember, you know, we got a lot of shit for Christmas, you know? And I remember my brother got this foot clan, foot clan figurine. And I remember, I remember kind of being sad that I didn't get one. And my dad or somebody was like, Oh, what's, what's, what's wrong? And I was like, Oh, well, my brother got this Foot Clan thing and I didn't get one. And I was like really sad. And I look back on that and I'm so fucking embarrassed. You know, I'm so embarrassed that here I was getting all these other gifts for Christmas and it's like I wasn't happy. You know, I was upset because I didn't get a goddamn Foot Clan. And I think, God, what a spoiled brat. Do you know what I mean? Like, God, I, I, I should have fucking known better. Do you know what I'm saying? And I'm so embarrassed because I think there was like, I think the most embarrassing thing is I think of, I think we had some other family around that time as well who were like, you know, visiting for Christmas or whatever. And I, I, for some reason, I've decided that they thought in that moment that I was a fucking spoiled brat. Like, God, look at this fucking brat. 
getting all these gifts and he's not, not happy because he didn't get a goddamn Foot Clan figurine. Um, you know, but I look at it as an adult and I think, oh God, I was just a kid. You know, kids, <laughs> kids don't know any better. You can't expect them to know any better. Do you know what I mean? That's just, they, they want what they want, and yeah, that, kids are selfish. That's what they are. Um, I mean, if I said it as an adult, I probably would be a brat. But as a kid, you're sort of blameless. Do you know what I'm saying? I look at that moment, and I don't, I don't know if it'll make sense, you know, but I look at that moment with my drum teacher, and I think, oh, what a brat. You know, and what did my, what am I, you know, I've just assumed that my teacher was like, thought the same thing. Like, what a brat. Like, Jesus Christ. All right, fucking screw this kid. Do you know what I'm saying? Kid doesn't even practice. Like, what the fuck? This kid's like, you like doomed in a way. Do you know what I'm saying? And when I look at the whole picture, it all makes sense. You know, I just had no structure. I had nobody pushing me. I had nobody telling me what to do. I had nobody kind of, I don't know. I'm looking for another word, but I don't need one. Structure is enough. You know, I didn't have any structure. And I look back on that, and I think my drum teacher must have been like, oh, dude, fuck this kid. But now, I'm looking at that person as who they are, which is a kid who didn't have a lot of structure. And it's not my fault. Do you know what I'm saying? There's like there, there's that extra tag now at the end of it, which is, I was a kid with no structure, but because of the time I was made to, because I was given a lot of power and responsibility for making choices, I chose to leave school. I chose whether or not I continued drum lessons. I chose whether or not I practiced. I, because my parents gave me that responsibility, and the, or the, the power to make those decisions, I should say rather, they also gave me the responsibility for the consequences of those decisions. You know, so when I've looked back on my life, I, I, you know, I've always been like, wow, I really made a mess of things. Do you know what I mean? I'm the one who made the decision at all these critical junctures on what I should have done and I didn't. I made the wrong choices. I made these mistakes. But when you get older, you realize that's what parents are there for. That's why parents tell you what to do because... Kids left to their own devices will make all the wrong mistakes, you know? They're, what's steering their ship is something completely fucking different. I mean, if, you, if kids could make whatever the fuck they wanted for breakfast, they'd have chocolate chip cookie cereal, you know, and fucking Dr. Pepper. Do you know what I mean? You know, parents are supposed to provide that structure that people need. You know, that... that you know, I go, I'm going back to this idea of drumming, of learning the fundamentals or practicing your technique. You know, I know it doesn't seem important to you today, but I'm an adult. I've been through the world. I know what you're going to face, and I need to prepare you for those things. You know what I mean? I need to give you that structure. And so when I look back on that child who didn't practice or gave his teacher a hard time for talking to him about their smoking or whatever, I think like, wow, what a fucking brat you were. And I don't know, maybe I was a brat. Maybe maybe the, the label still applies, but there's this other part too where I think, you know, either it's not your fault or how could it have gone any other way, really? Do you know what I'm saying? Without that structure. And, uh, and I kind of, I kind of wonder, well, maybe the adults in my life actually were more sympathetic to me. I mean, not that they could have done anything, you know, not that they could have said or done or intervened in my life in any way that would have had a meaningful change, but maybe they weren't as hard as me, as hard on me as I was on myself or the way I, I think about it now as an adult, you know, maybe they were like, ah, oh, shit, man, poor kid, you know, just doesn't have the structure at home and, you know, he's really going to suffer, you know, and maybe the last 15 years of my life or so that have been a struggle for me, you know, maybe a lot of the adults in my life saw it coming and kind of felt for me, do you know? but there's something about what's motivating me now in the present where I feel like, and again, not consciously, but it's like I'm going back in my life and trying to fix these chapters in my life. You know, I want to be the student I wasn't, but knew I could have been. I want to go back and be the drum student that I wasn't, but knew I could have been. Do you know what I mean? 
<clears throat> and who knows, dude, maybe by this time next year I'll fucking go out on a theater audition or something because I, I want to be an actor all of a sudden. But, um, but yeah. And you know what, dude? I, every time I do the podcast, I say this too. I, you know, because I never know what we're going to talk about, we just end up talking about what, we're, what we do. I have all these things that I think I should be talking about and I never fucking do. But we're well out of time. We're well over. Um, this may be the longest single episode we've done, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, I do have some of the stories I want to tell you, um, and I, I'm already looking ahead to next week, and I know I got some things planned, and I'm, um, I'm sure I'll want to talk about, and you'll have things you want to talk about, and I will too. So, thanks for listening, thanks for tuning in. Interesting episode. Uh, kind of skated around, and maybe we closed with something poignant for you to think about. Um, yeah, maybe that's what I meant. There's a part of it, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's a perfectionist in me that's trying to go back in life and, and fix all these, these chapters in my life, but, you know, my therapist said as much, and I kind of agree, there's something poignant about it, too, so, I don't know, let's both think about it over the week, shall we? Thanks for listening. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast and you want to, you can, uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, all that shit. Uh, if you want to connect with our socials, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at thisismpod. Shoot us an email if you want at thisismpod at gmail.com. Uh, stream the playlist of all my original music from 2019 called Gentleman Caller on Spotify. Just look for M, the heir apparent. That's the letter M, the H-E-I-R apparent, and stream the playlist Gentleman Caller that's featured on my profile. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Thanks for your time. Thanks for tuning in. Um, and we'll see you next week. But, ciao. For now. For now.